Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Don Willis, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Well, Paul, thank you a million for inviting me. This is uh, awesome to see you. I have not seen, we haven't seen each other since 02, probably. Yeah, I'd say say so. Yeah, probably uh, fall of 02, yeah. And, and Don, you are, are one of my fondest set of memories about being in the guard. You, you, you were professional. Uh, you had a great sense of humor. You took care of the troops. You were a soldier, soldier, but you, you also had a personality that fit really well inside that culture. Uh, and so you, you're one of those people in my life, Don, I, I, I need to say this at the beginning. Whenever I saw you or when I knew I was going to see you, it made me happy. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, so I, I, I usually start with where, where did you grow up, where are you from, that kind of thing. But I'm, I think I'm going to start with uh, what are you doing these days? Well, I'm just, uh, I'm entering my 13th year. It's, let's see, I started emergency management in 2010. So I'm well into 13 years, almost 14 years uh, doing emergency management. I, I've worked with the state uh, state team with Virginia Department of Emergency Management for seven and a half of those years. Uh, everything up north, uh, that's where it seems like ever since I retired, I've been in positions that I worked at Fort Belvoir for a while, uh, U.S. Department of State for a while. Then I went to work for a nonprofit and then uh, culminating with uh, a phone call. I got one one day from a good friend of both of ours is Virgil Gray. And he says, hey, man, when you come to work for me? And I'm like, hey, I got a job. You know, I don't want to go back on the beltway and stuff like that. But uh, he said, well, I, I'm doing this thing, emergency management. I'm trying to build a team and, uh, you know, Virgil's we had a lot of Virgilisms because he he talked a lot of crazy stuff but he said you know what if if you can uh, chew bubble gum and walk at the same time you could probably do this job and he says I'm looking for a deputy coordinator and uh I said well I don't know if I got the skill set for that or not he said no I need I need you as an operations sergeant he said that's where I know you from and where you you did well you can build a team and that's what I'm doing he said, we're building the first team in the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, under Virginia Department of Emergency Management, Region 7, Northern Virginia. Uh, we got 10 jurisdictions, and I want you to interview. I've got a set of uh, resumes here. They're getting ready to go to, I want to go to second interview, and I just want to see where you fall with these. this group of 10. Uh, I want to pull five out, and um, let, let's, let's see how we compare. And we were spot on. We didn't exchange notes i didn't know anything about it he hired me as a trainer training and exercise uh manager uh for the 10 jurisdictions in the national capital region um a lot of work with our fema partners and you know uh, government partners but did that for about seven and a half years and when virgil uh left and uh abruptly he, he left and went to work for stafford stafford county emergency management as the emergency manager because he was a chief regional coordinator uh, in Nova, and I was like the second under him as far as his uh, exercise and training lead. And then uh, I basically told my new boss, I said, uh, my days are numbered with you as the, on this team, um, but I'm going, I'm going to be looking for employment elsewhere as, as well in Fairfax. That's when uh, the young ladies interview that I was going to go to uh, 
uh, on a certain morning of certain day after Veterans Day, um, she was medically uh, moving out and her position had become vacant. So I applied. There were a whole bunch of positions and I ended up getting a job in Fairfax and worked there until uh, from 2017 to 2022. Uh, left there on November 4th. Uh, Friday, November 4th of 2022 and started in Spotsylvania as the emergency management coordinator. Uh, I went from a team of 26 to one. <laughs> so we had a we had a um, emergency management staff in Fairfax of, of 26 folks. It's pretty robust. Mm -hmm. And now I'm a one man show working under fire and rescue and emergency management for uh, Spotsylvania County. But it's a it's at the division chief level. Um, so. I can, uh, I've already told them I'm, I'm looking, I want the brand. I want to make my own team eventually, but again, that call comes with funding, but, uh, been doing that now since, you know, for about six, going on seven months and it's been a blur. It's been busy, but it's good to be home. I mean, right now, like this time of day after beating the street in Nova for, you know, a week and coming home, you, the only thing you want to do is go to bed. I mean, my days were a lot, a lot of times there was about four and a half hours of windshield time, just getting to and from work. It sucked. Yeah. That, that's awful, Don. I, th I think I would have told you at some point in the last 13 years, move to a different part of the world. Yeah. Cause that traffic, it's gotta be top five worst in the country. Yeah. They, you know, I had I had that come from uh, a couple of in senior leadership, too. It says, you know, you choose where you live. And I said, eh, I, know, I understand that. And uh, I said, but I'm not moving to northern Virginia. I said, I, I made a I made a commitment when I got laid off in 2006 from the State Department. I, I made I made a commitment that I was not going to venture past the Chapawamza Creek, you know, with. Uh, and that's one of the main things with Virgil. And I told him, I said, listen, Virgil. I'm not putting up with the this this commuting mess, you know. He says, "Well, <clears throat> he said some days you'll work in Stafford, some days you'll be in Manassas Park, other days you might be in Loudon." He said, "But uh, you know, I go to a lot of that stuff too." He says, "We're, we're just bubbles and trucks right now, but eventually there's going to be vehicles for everybody." And I never got to that point, but uh, with that team, but when I went to work for Fairfax, uh, it was it was just beat the street day in day out and one week one week about every seven weeks uh i had a i was duty officer so i had a response uh mission too in case something happened uh for the with the emergency management uh, team i had to respond to it for the entire county of fairfax and that was uh there were some there were some trying times there too because we had a lot of responsibility with not a lot of authority um mm. a lot of yeah how should i say that whole bunch of uh whole bunch of responsibility but not a lot of uh authority to do anything yeah which uh i imagine feels like you're uh you're helpless in a, in yeah. a lot of ways but, but you've never played the victim don you've always struck me as a guy that just figures out how to get it done and you get it done oh yeah yeah there's one way one way or the other it just you know if it means being up for a call at three in the morning you just suck it up you get up you make the call and you uh that's what i tell people now i'm i'm getting ready to teach recruit Academy, you know, our, our new fire recruits that are coming up that I'm going in and giving them blocks of instruction on, you know, EM 101. They want to talk to me about my uh, experience as a emergency manager, but then they, you know, that bleeds over into your, your previous careers. 
you know, because a lot of times the a lot of times the young ones want to hear a little bit of a story before they, you know, make a make a uh, educated guess or anything like that. But it's refreshing. It's refreshing to look back and say, you know, maybe uh, maybe it was impactful to some. Um, pretty pretty interesting times. Um, I've had I've had I've run into people over the years that serve we served with, and uh, you know you hear comments like you know now I understand why we had to do it and then it wasn't quite right but then we had to do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again and said that all paid off when we got into places like uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and. You know, all that repetitive, you know, rehearsal stuff paid off when you when you got into a theater of operations. Remember Walter Baskerville? Yeah, oh yeah. I was talking to him the other day at Roger's uh, Roger's birthday party and uh, Roger's Roger Brooks's seventy fifth birthday party, and uh, I was talking to Baskerville and he was telling me about uh, his encounter with an IED. You know. A vehicle-borne IED, and I'm like, yeah, it's 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 real stuff. I was uh I was working on that team uh, right after I retired. I went to work for PEO Soldier, mm. and they put me on uh, sensors and lasers. Working, uh, I I thought I was busy as a uniformed soldier. When I got with that team, because of the war effort, I mean, it was nonstop, just six months of whatever we could pull off the shelf, design it test it and then get it into country you know get it into afghanistan get it into iraq wherever it had to go commercial off the shelf hey the second iteration will you know will become you know something that's uh hopefully in an m m mode at that point versus an x mode but i learned a lot learned a lot quickly with with that team i was one of, i was one of the first ones to field uh the strikers with uh the the lightweight laser designator rangefinders we were we were the team. There was three of us that had uh, had the training on that and uh, pushed all those 500k a piece lasers into into country. Uh, it's crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I remember uh, what right after 9/11, we were, we decided to go to Afghanistan, and Rumsfeld, who was Secretary of Defense at the time, said. Uh, you, you go to war with the uh, military you got, not the one you wish you had. Yeah. So, like so I imagine the, the days, weeks, and months after 9 11, oh. it was crazy for a lot of people. Yes, it was. Hey, hey, emergency management, I've never done it. I imagine it's a mix of planning, training, uh, actual real world application. Um, I, it sounds like Fairfax was a pretty hectic uh, job for you. Can you walk me through a typical day or week? what it was like to be an emergency management uh, responder and coordination. Yeah. You nailed it on the head. It's, it's heavy planning. Um, there's always opportunities for multi-discipline, multi-agency coordination. Uh, with an emergency manager, you bring your each and every discipline, not just your responders. You have to bring them all into the fold of what emergency operations really means. And our bread and butter is the emergency operations center. Um, so those responders that are out there doing the, doing the stuff, putting the wet stuff on the fires and putting the rounds down range, you know, and securing, you know, our, our law enforcement officials. Um, it's my job 
it's the emergency management team's job to resource them. So if they need additional resources, um, you, you coordinate that. You find a way. You know, I know enough now uh, to where, especially, oh, my God, after doing COVID, and that's a whole other nightmare. But um, you learn real quickly what your role is. You go to training. You get to schools. You know, you go to planning section chief, situation unit leader. Uh, my biggest accomplishment, I guess I could I could put, was the two and a half years that we spent uh, with COVID response. I was in Fairfax. Uh, so we had three teams because we had a large enough uh, DEM staff, Department of Emergency Management and Security. I ran red team as a logistics section chief. And, uh, you know, when you're talking ordering millions of a said product or you're talking about outfitting, you know, hundreds of thousands of first responders um, with enough throughput and enough equipment and uh uh, PPE to keep them safe, you know, for the next year or next six months and then doing it all over again after the shelf life expires, stuff like that. So heavy, heavy, heavy coordination of resources. And that's working with not only state agencies, but federal agencies alike. And then uh, the COVID, the COVID response was one of the first times I have ever seen there was really no end to it because we actually started the after action review process and phases because we were so far into this. You know, when you're working for a board of supervisors or a county, a county executive or county administrator, and they, they throw a date up on the, on the calendar and say, Hey, we want a briefing as to what were the impacts? What were the, what were the pluses? What were the minuses, you know, AAR stuff. Um, and how are we going to fix things that we weren't able to fix along the way? But, you know, you've got staff that work with you. I'm, I'm lucky now that I have a fire and rescue department, fire and rescue and emergency management. That's where I fall under with Spotsy uh, because I have a lot of folks that are well-trained. Uh, they've done these emergency operations center tasks for a long time, and they understand incident command, and they understand EOC command and that interface. You know, incident command, you're out there on the ground, you're doing tactical stuff. EOC command or EOC operations, you're, you know, basically keeping that fight going, sustaining them with, with the necessary resources. And that's, that's uh, Spotsy now back here. It's heavy, heavy rep, which is radiological emergency planning because of mm -hmm. North Anna. Uh, wow. That's a, it's a huge, huge task uh, for a locality, but uh, you know, I'm taking the training I'm going through the uh, Centers for Disaster Preparedness and FEMA, and I'm getting all the core certifications, going off to places like in a couple of weeks, I'm heading down to Surrey to uh, to basically shadow their group uh, through there and do some controller help with uh, FEMA as they're graded on their exercise. And then next year, in turn, those folks will come up and assist me because I, I'll be in that rotation for a graded exercise. But uh, yeah. It's just like the military as far as the teams. You got your special teams that do certain things. You got your monitoring teams. Uh, and you remember the NBC stuff we used to do, the Suburney stuff, you know, with their the specialized teams. Um, I'm asked all the time about, well, you did this in the Army. I said, well, I did do some of that. But 
before I get on this and say that I'm going to be a hazmat chief or something like that, I'm going to have to have some additional training because a lot has changed. So, well, a lot's changed and we were doing uh first level stuff. Most. Yeah. Of yeah. yeah. We, we were doing the hardcore, like above uh, theater level. Yeah. Understanding of anything. Yeah. I, so Don, I've always assumed that you grew up in what I would call the, the greater Fredericksburg area. Did you grow up in Spotsy? Yep. Sure did. Yeah. Been in Spotsy since uh, 1974. Uh, came here from Falmouth. Uh, my family was originally from Woodbridge, Prince William. Um, moved to Stafford and I uh, think in, I remember my sister was born in 69 and uh, we had been in Stafford maybe a year. And uh, then I went to first through fourth grade at Falmouth Elementary School. And then uh, when we moved down to Spotsylvania, we moved to a little farm little farm at little five acre little back then but huge huge back then but little now um five acre tract and we we did the farming thing for the next bunch of years until i got sick of farming and said hey i'm, I'm a, i think i'm gonna join the army and get the hell out of spotsylvania county and then uh but always kept spotsy as my home i, I moved to ashland one time hmm. down in hanover near your area there uh when i first went to work in dove street uh in richmond I moved to Ashland for six months and then moved right back to Fredericksburg and then built a house in 88. Yeah. Well, that was, God, that was 88. Cause that's the same year I went to Sapper school, um, built the house in 88 and sold that in 20, 2003. Yeah. For double what I paid for. That's the only reason I sold it. And then we've been here. I'm out in the wilderness area now out off of plank road Plank Road and Route 3 and uh, Orange Plank Road and Brock. Um, I'm a straight shot right to the courthouse from here, 10 miles from to the to where I work now. Yeah. But um, we've been here going on 21 years. And we love it out here. It's, it's still country. Yeah, we don't have a subdivision or anything like that. Sometimes I wish we had a little bit of oversight, but um, I'm on about a 1.08 uh, acre, which is plenty. I mean, a lot of grass to mow. That's definitely a lot of grass to mow. What, what is it about Spotsy, or is it more, what is it about being, uh, well, I'll just ask the question. What's it about Spotsy that uh, you basically, once you got there as a fourth or fifth grader, you you, you stayed? I don't know. Um, even when I went off to, you know, overseas on my first tour, uh, I always had that feeling like I would come back to Virginia come back to Spotsylvania County. Um, there was just always that drawing. I mean, I didn't have a whole bunch of friends, um, but I said it a few times when I worked up north. I said, when I get back to Spotsylvania County, I get there in the evening after a long day of work, I'm home. And that, that, that means a lot. You can go to a house, you know, or you can go to where you stay, but when you step foot in the door, you're, you're home. And that, that, that means a lot that to this day, that means a lot for my wife and I, um, we try to really, really use our time wisely. And we've had a heck of a heck of a load over the last bunch of years, but again, we wouldn't trade it for anything, uh, with raising these grand, these grandsons. Um, it's just like we had to do a part two, 
you know, we're parents, we raise our kids, they go through, you know, we get college, trade school, get through high school, and then uh, grandkids come along. And then the things that you took for granted, and I hate to say that, and I tell a lot of young people that now, I love the fact that you have a plan, but don't take one day for granted because that plan can change in a blink of an eye. And yeah, you know, just, with a five, yeah, with a five-year plan, ten-year plan, we've had to take a you know second se- second look and back up a little bit and start over. I mean, it's we've had we fell on some hard times, but we've had some good times too. So, but you're home. We're home. I mean, it's, it says a lot. Yeah. All right. Let, let, let's talk about uh, your childhood a little bit. What did you like to do as a kid? Fish. When you're like hunt. like, so you're a hunting and fishing kind of guy. Yeah, still to this day, I'm, I love to fish. I just don't do enough of it. Hunting, I kind of got out of. Uh, when I was in uh, high school, junior high school and senior high school, I uh, I did. I, I was a trapper. Uh, learned a lot. Learned a lot of basic skills from some older gentlemen with trapping. But outdoor stuff, hunting, fishing, uh, baseball, uh, not a lot of sports, not football or anything like that. I, I, I played some baseball. Um and then always had uh, always had my mind set on, you know, doing something with the military because nobody else in the family ever did anything except my uncle. So, you know, later in life, uh, you know, growing up as a kid uh, from like 14 on, I, I just really, really started thinking seriously about something different, something to get me out of Spotsy because I was a young man and uh, up at the crack of dawn holding down a job while I was in school, paying my way through school, had my own car, paid cash for it. Um, but I was at work at four or five in the morning, catch the bus sometimes from work to school and then catch it home from school back to work and get off and ride my moped home. You know, whatever it took. Uh, this day and age, they talk about stuff like that. You, you get run over out on the roads, but uh, the stuff we did, and I'm sure you've said it a hundred times too. I don't know how we survived. I don't know how we survived our childhoods uh, with some of the stuff we did. Well, I mean, look, I think we're better off for it the way we grew up. And shame oh, on yeah. me and a lot of other people, uh, my generation, where it's like overly protective and you're not doing one of the most critical things you should be doing as, as a parent, which is letting them become independent right. citizens. And it's really hard to be independent when mom and dad are hovering over you all the time. Oh, yeah. 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 So it sounds like you were, you were, you went to school because you had to. Uh, you worked because you had to. And you're like, I want to go do something that maybe is a little bit more uh, out there, can expose me to some different things. Uh, and, oh, by the way, I get to serve my country and maybe get in yeah. better shape and that kind of thing. But um, you, it sounds like you were a country boy. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I say it. that with all due respect. And we did it all. I mean, I remember you and I talking about, you know, farming and stuff like that, because you, you've got a vast experience in that. Um, but because um, I know we used to always talk about Hanover tomatoes. <laughs> um, but no, you learn so much. You know, you learn how to uh, my dad and mom's goal when we moved from suburban Fredericksburg, Falmouth area was to move to a place and completely subsist off of that property. I mean, when some days we'd come home and my dad would have been to the stock market, we'd have pigs, goats, chickens, geese, 
you name it. Next thing you know, he will come home. He's got a small cow and then we just raise these animals. And, you know, then towards the winter, guess what? We're going to start stocking up the freezers. Now you got to know how to slaughter the animals. You know, you know, got to know how, how to do this stuff and how to, you know, certain cuts of meat, things like that. And we didn't think twice about it. Um, I actually had a, yeah, in my junior and senior year, I was big in FFA um, and uh, was a chapter farmer, had a scholarship from Upjohn Corporation. Uh, Bobby Orock was my, uh, he was my shop teacher. Mm. And uh, he begged me, he, he begged me, please, Don, don't, don't go in the service. You got, you got a full ride at tech with agribusiness. Just, you, you've got it. You got this scholarship. You had a full ride to Virginia Tech, and I said, "I'm going in the army. I'm going to enlist in the army. I'm enlisting in the army." And he he was he was pretty bitter with me over that. And I said, "You know, I, I'm just making a decision based on what I need to do." And uh, I said, "I'm going to go and I'm going to make it, and then I'm going to come back here to prove to you that I made the right decision." And I did. I came back after boot camp and AIT, and I came back before I deployed overseas and. Um, I went down to the high school, full dress green uniform, walked up in the walked right up in Bobby Orock's class. I said, I'm here. And I told you I would be, <laughs> I think I might've had one ribbon, <laughs> <laughs> but I was man, I was on top of the world. So, so hold on a second, Don. You had a full ride to Virginia tech, which I haven't looked at the stats, but I imagine in the country, it's a top two or three sort of agro yeah. business yeah. school work in the world. It's probably top 10, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, in fact, my uncle went there for agribusiness. He was a cattle uh, farmer. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and he had a he had a decently successful uh, business life. But you you gravitate to what you gravitate to, and it sounds like even though you had grown up that way, you you yeah. were looking for something different. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, that's uh, self sustaining. <laughs> lifestyle is super, super foreign to, I think, most of humanity. Mm-hmm. Well, I say, I, well, let me back up. I say most of humanity, certainly this country, taking care of yourself in terms of food alone, that that's, most people would, I say most people, I think 85% of people would, would die within three months. Oh, yeah. If they had to do it on their own. I, I, I tell, I tell the generations you know, our kid generations, our grandkid generations, I tell them all the time, you know, they, I got a grandson now, my middle grandson, he's, uh, he's in his room right now, but, uh, he is five foot 10, six, just turned 16, five foot 10. He went to his, he had his physical yesterday, 193 pounds. Mm. And he's, they're getting ready to start there. They get a break and then they're going to start their two a days. But, uh, Football never mixes a practice. He's a uh, double. He lettered. He's this is second year lettering in uh, lacrosse. So he does lacrosse in the. He calls it in the off season of football, <laughs> and then uh, he does his football. He's been uh, playing varsity football since he was a freshman, mm. and uh, he's 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 focused. He's and I look back at him, and he comes in sometimes and says, "I'm so hungry." I said, son, "Grandson, let me tell you something." His name, his nickname's Chunk. He's had it since birth. He was a big baby, eight pounds, fourteen ounces. Mm. Um, but he likes it. He it, it stuck with him. 
even as coaches, sometimes they ask our permission. Say, Is it okay to call him that? I said, absolutely. You know, he, he likes it. If he didn't, he'd tell you, you know. Right. But he comes in sometimes, he talks about going back to this hunger thing, you know, about self-sustaining and knowing um, what is true hunger. I said, have you ever really been hungry? I said, I'm going to tell you, you haven't. Yeah. And he's looking at me like, yeah, I have, man. I, I was like, I went over with that. I said, no, you have never experienced true hunger. I said, if you had to go through something and be deprived of food for five, six days, and all you had was water, you would really have a fond understanding of what being hungry really is, you know, and uh, how to how to sustain on basically what you have on your back and and you know those survival aspects of it. Uh, those those are life lessons that uh, you just never forget. Yeah, n- not eating for a few days and not knowing where your next meal is coming from. Yep. Um, and it's got to be especially crippling for people that are in those situations that don't know how to uh, figure it out for themselves or yeah. didn't grow up that way. That's right. Yeah. Uh, all right. So a little bit of baseball. Were, were you good at baseball? Yeah, pretty good. Ended up, I uh, played a couple years in uh, parks and rec stuff and then when my brother moved up to higher level league, JCs, things like that, you know, uh, pretty much high school ball, I would, I would bat boy for him. My dad was always coaching the team. Uh, so yeah, we had some good times. All right. You, you mentioned, uh, you don't get to fish enough, but you'd love to fish more. What is it about fishing in particular that's, uh, draws your attention and wants you to do it more? It's just the relaxation of it. You know, when I get out on a pond or anything like you don't have to catch fish. You know, you know, you just got to wet a line, sit there, get sunburned, whatever, get rained on. Uh, if you catch a fish, that's great. Most of the time when I take my grandsons, uh, I got a five-year-old grandson now, too, that's chomping at the bit to get out there and get his uh, get his line in the water. My oldest grandson, Dominic, he's been fishing since, uh, literally fishing since he could walk. I got pictures of that kid and a diaper bag over my daggone shoulder and tackle box here we're going fishing and we're out the door at six we see the sun come up on nye river reservoir and by the time the the this is a like an infant and i'm i'm humping this infant around you know i bring him home with one crock he left with two he comes home with one crock no diapers left and we're we're reeking but we've been fishing my wife looked at me and she said, have you lost your mind? I said, this boy caught a catfish a while ago, you know. <laughs> and since that day, since the first time I took that kid fishing, um, every time he goes near a body of water, you can you can bet. You can't get your bait on the hook quick enough. He's already caught a fish. Wow. There were no bass in that pond. Well, he caught the first one, you know, they, just an avid fisherman. But it's the relaxation of it. I mean, you know, you know what they say, a bad day of fishing is always better than a good day at work. Yeah, Don, the older I get, the more I realize, I mean, fishing, the the act of fishing itself is relaxing, but there's something about being on or near water hmm. that uh, that makes the experience. It, it's more than just relaxing. I, I, I'm still struggling to put my finger on it. But if you tell me I have an option of doing 10 activities on or near water, or doing it on land without sight of water, I'm yeah. doing it on or near water every single time. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a good point. Uh, we were going back and forth to topsail 
down at Camp Lejeune area there for quite some time, uh, uh, 2015, 16, 17. We actually went a couple times in 2018, and then uh, things changed a little bit, and then we got into COVID, and that that kind of ruined our vacationing for a while. But now the price is just, you know, out of this world. But uh, my wife would even tell me, you know, over the years, and I'm sure you've probably experienced a little bit of this too, but over the years after military service, you know, you, you get the the arthritis, the pain. Um, that's a whole nother chapter. That's probably a whole nother podcast. Um, but the closer you get to water, I mean, we would be driving to the beach. And the closer we got to the water, and then we get out and start walking on the beach, you feel better. Yeah. I mean, just the mere fact of, yes, the water, the relaxation there, but there's something about the pressures, the different, the salt, whatever it may be, uh, that just makes your body feel better. Yeah, Don, I'll, I'll tell you, I, at my, I'm in my mid-50s now. If I have a choice and, and I have to travel a, a decent distance, I don't care. I'll travel every time to, to be near water. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, Don, you, you decide you wanted to enlist in the Army, didn't want to go to Virginia Tech, which most of the people in my family, uh, if they heard that about you upon meeting you, they'd be very disappointed because I swear like 90% of the people that went to college in my family went to Virginia Tech. Isn't that something? Yeah. Uh, did you have any idea what you were getting into? Yeah. Um I went in I went in to school early and God it was November of 1981 and I had made my mind up that I was going the first recruiter that I ran into I didn't care what branch of service it was and I was almost positive it was going to be this one this marine recruiter and uh I got there that morning super early, and uh, the first one I ran into was a E7 in the Army. And we immediately started talking. And I said, hey, I'm going in the Army. And he said, hey, we'll get you set up this, that, and the other, ASVAB, do this, that, and the other. Next thing I know, I'm fast-tracking, man. I'm, I'm joining delayed entry in November of 1981, and I don't graduate until freaking June the next year. You know, so I already had that, my P-bed, I already started my P-bed. So, um, yeah. Then I talked to the Marine recruiter after I said, I thought you joined the Marines. I said, no, well, you didn't show up on time. <laughs> I'm ready to go. And wait, I, wait, I did. Hey, Don, hold on a second. If the, if the Coast Guard guy had showed up first, <laughs> you would have been in the I'd Coast been, Guard? I'd have probably been a Coastie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're different. Sir. I mean, obviously you and I have not served in all, all branches, but they, some similarities between the Marine Corps and, and the Army. Yeah. There's some special folks in the other branches that there's some overlap yeah. on the special side, but uh, the other branches are very different from, from the Army. But the 18-year-old version of you or 17-year-old version of you yeah. uh, didn't matter. You wanted to serve. Yes, sir. And, you know, uh, when I got overseas, I can actually say I probably went to the most, to the premier infantry division on the planet you know when i got to the 25th division i had no clue but it wasn't long 
after being there that I said, this is legit stuff. I mean, they trained constantly. And to this day, I mean, 65th BEB, you know, sends XXX to Sapper School or XXX to Ranger School through their programs that they had. You know, there's not a there's not a big washout rate with uh, with uh, those light fighters coming from 25th Division. And I did. I really, really made uh, I made rank fast. Um, I made E5 really, really fast. And then uh, got an opportunity to go to BNOC before most people were even thinking about PLDC wow. back in the day. And uh, because you had to have the scores, you had to have the aptitude, you know, on your SQTs and all that other stuff to to qualify for that, you know, then the, the boards as well. And uh, my squad leader, he didn't even have he didn't have a high school education and uh, he couldn't he couldn't do the math. He couldn't do the demo calcs. Mm. And uh, he was they're talking about him, you know, these squad leader positions, these six positions. And I was a, I was an E4. E4, I hadn't even been promoted yet. I was an acting Jack E5 for six months. And then when I graduated uh, PLDC and uh, graduated commandant's list from PLDC, and then uh, less than a year later, I got a slot in BNOC. And uh, their washout rate was horrendous because there there were no computers. There Everything, you know, even with, you're an engineer officer. I mean, you know it well. You could have the right calculation. You could have the right poundage. You could have the right down to the eighth, eighth iota. But if your math wasn't right, you got a no go. I mean, that's it's it was that you you had to have perfect stuff. I mean, I'll never forget doing the minefield card and the you know, minefield uh, reports and stuff. The thirteen fifty fives. I'll never forget that form because you couldn't have any erasures on it. You know. <laughs> oh my God. But challenging. And then uh, to be sent from there, and I tried to get station of choice back at Carson. Oh, hold on, hold on, Don. Don, hold on. Let's go back to basic training. Any fun memories? Oh, from basic? <laughs> basic um, was survival. AIT as well. They they lied to us. Uh, I was in Delta 1-2. I was a demon. <laughs> and they said, man, you get through basic training, you know, you get, we got this long long uh, weekend pass and you get to go down to Rolla, Missouri, you know, a little college town down there. And you know, here we are, 17 year olds. We, down there. we went absolutely crazy, you know, went nuts and uh, came back, got back late. And then AIT started the following morning. And we were thinking, oh, you know, AIT, you know, this is just just our, our skills training. You know, it's not going to be that bad. Smoked us from day one. Really? I, I can actually say I've never been to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri that I didn't get my butt smoked. Never been to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri that didn't get, it was like, and then go back a few years later, go to Sapper School and get smoked again. Um, yeah, yeah, got home from there and I said, man, I, I hope I never have to repeat basic and AIT, that's for sure. So at what point did you know you were going to be a 12B? Oh, I, that day I signed up in 81. So how, how did you even know what a 12B was or what a combat engineer was? Uh, had a guy, had a Vietnam vet, uh, friend of ours who was with the fire department. Um, I still connect with him, by the way. Um, he's a retired volunteer and, uh, he was a combat engineer in Vietnam and was telling me about his, uh, 
his duties, you know, bridging and stuff like that and working with maps and topographic. Topographic really, uh, topographic maps, uh, things like that, more of an 81 series, I think it was back in our day, um, topographic engineer. But I was looking more at the construction piece of it, uh, mm -hmm. bridge building and things. Well, that's more of 12 Charlie, you know, 12 Charlie bridge crew member, 12 Bravo, your combat engineer. So you're going to do these other things with fortifications and mines and explosives, you know, and I really didn't know that much about it naturally, but oh my gosh, the training that we received was just phenomenal. And then continued to receive over all those other, you know, all those other years. All right. So uh, I, it's, I love the connection to the Vietnam uh, veteran. How many demo ranges have you been on in your entire time, uh, regular army and in the national guard? Have you had a misfire? Um, once. And were you senior enough where you had to deal with it? Yep. <laughs> tell, tell me that story. Cause that's you're, never, you're never going to, you're never going to believe. And it was an electric charge. Oh, which, oh my God, that tells you, right. We were in Makua Valley and in, in the, uh, Island of uh, Wahoo. And, uh, we had set up M180 cratering kits. They were brand new. We see this thing. It's got the shape charge on. It's got the crater in charge on. It's on a tripod. Damn, how hard can it be? You know, so we got the TMs out, set this thing up, daisy chain, like four of them together to do this relief face road crater. And we get back, you know, we're, we wound our stuff out like this. You know, we got this guy with a cap, this guy with a machine, and we bring a private over like that. So, hey, fire in a hole, fire in a hole, fire in a hole, let her rip. It's going to be a big boom, you know, because we're, we were quite a ways back. Firing a hole, firing a hole, firing a hole. He cranks off on that freaking blasting machine. And I mean, cranking it hard. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, my oh. God. No, no, no. What did we not do? You know, lieutenant looks at me. I'm like, sir, did you check the shunts? Did you check the switches? Did you, you know, did we do the final? We did everything. Okay, well, guess what? We're going to have to wait a while. Yeah, you know, I think minimum then was electric misfire was what, 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. So we waited and then good God, we're like crawling back up there to these. Here's these kits just sitting there, you know, and shunted the wires off and everything like that. Made sure nobody had even close access to a blast machine. Went up to the, I go right up to the toggle switches that are on the, the, the tripod. And sure enough, tripod, the, all the toggle switches were off. So flip the toggle switches back up, shut the shut the little gates on them, went back down range, firing a hole, firing a hole, firing. And the first time he hit that thing, boom. I mean, it went off. But that was, Dumb. That was, I was, I was shaking many, my boots. How, how many tripods were there? How, how many? Four. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a lot of pounds of, of uh, demolitions. Yeah, it was hard. It was, it was, it was, it was a hell of a hole. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, I've only been around uh, the M180 maybe a couple of times. And one time I remember we, we were behind really thick bunkers, pretty close yeah. to the M180s. Frankly, yeah. I felt like I was too close. But we could see through this really thick, I guess it was plexiglass. Yeah. And I, I saw dirt go up, I don't know, 60, 70 feet in the air that was the size of, of two cars put together. Yeah, huge clumps. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. And yeah, so other, I, I was going to say those toggle switches, when you, were, you were dealing with those, you, your pucker factor had yeah. to be 11. 
finishing nail. No way. You couldn't have drove a finishing nail. Oh, man. I, I won't bore you with my story. Uh, kind of similar. It's hilarious. It sounds like you went to um, your first unit. 25th was in uh, Hawaii. One of yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty sweet deal. Your first duty station is Hawaii. Now, I've I've been to um, – and, Don, I, I don't know if you can still hear me. It looks like – Yeah, I got you. All right. Uh, I've been to Schofield. I uh, did a two-week thing there. And I, I think the Army found the worst part of the uh, Hawaiian island chain. To, oh, yeah. To build. Yes, indeed. Coley Coley Pass whipped my tail on more than one occasion. I mean, you had to qualify to go to air assault school. You know, and one of the qualification factors there was the freaking ruck march and the run to Coley Coley Pass and back. Mm. You know, you have people just freaking collapsing, falling over into into the ravines and stuff. It's just, oh, it's crazy. And the terrain, you know, Makua Valley, uh, that was also a very, very spiritual place. Um, I had a I had a platoon sergeant almost die. Uh, in Makua Valley, he promised himself that he would never lay on the ground again. And he was in a Australian hammock and was, uh, we were getting some shut eye. Cause you know, you didn't come back. You can go out on range week. You're, you're on the range, you know, bivouac right there. And I'm looking at this contraption he's got over there. And here we are all in our little, little huts and poncho villages and racked out there on the demo range. And, uh, we hear this blood-curdling scream in the middle of the night and it's my uh, platoon sergeant riley tiger i'll never forget him he got bit in the throat by a freaking massive centipede oh god and here we are in the middle of the night you know we got comms but we either gonna get him we were that, that's where i had my first experience with combat medic and uh actually happened to do a freaking emergency trach in the field because this guy, we were either going to get a skill craft pin down in his freaking trach, or he was going to die. I mean, wow. he, yeah, he swelled so fast. Then we had to, we had to clear an LZ. Here it is, you know, it's pitch black. So we lit the place up best we could with our five tons, and we put in this hasty LZ and uh, called for a, a did a what was it, eight line, eleven line medevac request. You know, got that the request across the. The mountain and then uh, to tripler and they flew they flew out there and got him saved his life but um he wasn't the same after that i tell you and that was that was those centipedes were freaking brutal scorpion centipedes but no snakes which was you know everybody loved that <laughs> so, uh, help me understand how big these centipedes are yeah the average size of them, nine nine inches and just nasty brown get in your rucksack come home with you oh my god yeah, they were they were treacherous. That sounds worse than a, than a uh, garden variety snake. Oh yeah, yeah they they were they were out to get you. There's no doubt there. And, but and good we, lord, demo ranges over the years. My God, I I went to two in Korea. Uh, there were two on Oahu that we used, and then when we we would deploy, we would go to the Big Island on deployments. We would deploy to the Big Island for thirty and forty five days at a time. Mm. And then, you know, if you've ever been to the lava fields of PTA, Puakaloa training area, uh, you can't you can't dig because it's lava. So the only thing you can do is, you know, these uh, 
foxhole techniques with, you know, precision explosives and stuff like that to try to learn how to learn how to put in fighting positions in lava because uh, they wouldn't allow us to to dig, but they would allow us to build up and they'd let us do these precision shots, you know, to when they came out testing all these different uh, kits and stuff like that. Don, you're the only person I know that has tried to to create fighting positions on a lava field. <laughs> While wild boars are coming in, trying to get in your tent at night. <laughs> I mean, it's like a different planet, right? It really is, yeah. And you go, yeah, that's the only place I've ever been in my life that you experience four seasons in a day. Yeah. You can literally go from Black Sands Beach in Kona to the top of the observatory and experience all four seasons in, in, in a day's time. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, and at certain times of year, it rains almost nonstop there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they get the uh, they get the like monsoon season. Yeah, yeah, almost like being in Asia. Yep. Yeah. All right. And so you mentioned Korea. Was that your next stop? Korea. I actually deployed to Korea while I was uh, assigned. Went over there. We were over there for the better part of almost almost three months, and that was for. Uh, uh, team spirit exercise 84 yeah i got a, i got pictures of the olympic stadium they were building building uh in seoul yeah because was it 84 88 that it was in seoul it was 84 i was there they were but they'd already started construction for the 88 olympics yeah that's right because 84 was la i think yeah 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 yep. 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 cool uh and three months that's a, that's a long time to go anywhere Especially yeah, with, you know, uh, with engineers, we were always we were always advanced advanced attachment and always rear detachment, you know, because we had so much equipment. Yeah, and your unit in the twenty fifth was an engineer battalion. Yeah, yeah. So how much training did you do with the uh, infantrymen? Uh, we did combined arms training um, at least once a quarter. Okay. If you were, you know, if you were in. Uh, you know, we had those, you were either in the ready brigade or you were in the reserve or, or prepping. Uh, so naturally I was an alpha company. So we were with the first brigade and, uh, we would train with our infantry count, not anything near as much as we did once we got to the 29th. I'll tell you why. Cause the 25th, they were just transitioning to light infantry in 85, uh, early 85. And then I PCS in 80, yeah, PCS in uh, November '85 back to the states. So I got I was very lucky to get to go through uh, uh, light infantry indoctrination, uh, rites of passage, uh, and then uh, understanding those command support relationships with with our infantry brethren. You know, because a lot of us, you know, we didn't we still didn't understand what this whole light infantry thing was going to look like we still had five tons you know five yeah. ton dump trucks and gamma goats and uh shoot what's that cev you know we still had a cev with us and m88 tank tank retriever uh, we because we were still considered a heavy unit yeah um, and then once they started transitioning to light i was like man there ain't no vehicles or nothing this is just out here rucking and <laughs> you had your rucking there that was it you, you, got, you got a pair of boots to take you places Oh my God. Yeah. So uh, how long were you regular army? Four years. Four years. And you said, uh, I think before we started recording, you had roughly just shy of 90 days. Uh, between yeah, 89 and days. And then I went back into boots uh, 
with my first full-time AGR Title 32 position in August of 86. So I got out in May, June, July, August, and uh, didn't even have a break in service. And you went to your, your local uh, Army yeah, National Guard Army? Right there, right there in Fredericksburg, yeah. Yeah, and uh, did you know it was there before you went back to duty? No. How did you know it was there when you came back? Just from, you know, hearing, hearing folks talk about it. Uh, I didn't really pay that much attention to it either. When I, even when I was at Devons, I, uh, I PCS to Fort Devons, but I came home. My wife and I came home, bought our first new car, uh, came home for the holidays and then went right back. And then out of the blue, I'm told as I'm in processing to my new unit, Bravo 39th, uh, that uh, we're deploying. And I'm like, what unit on Fort Devens deploys other than the 39th when they went to Vietnam, you know, and the 20th Special Forces Group, you know, when they, they're, they're a reserve unit. Bravo Company 39th is deploying. I'm like, to where? We're going to Honduras. Honduras? Yeah. Next thing I know, better part of two months, almost two months and a week, uh, we're in Honduras, totally unbeknownst to us why we're there, but my platoon sergeant ends up having a pretty bad flashback. Um, mm. He actually had to go to basic training twice. Uh, he had had such a long break in service, but uh, he was a, a non-vet, pretty experienced non-vet. And when we got in the country in Honduras, um, the terrain, everything, it just reminded him so much, the Quans and Huts, the GP Larges we had to stay in. We're going down there on a basically a humanitarian mission and a mission to pretty much increase their infrastructure because they had nothing. Pomerola Air Base was just that. It was a, it was a field landing strip. And we didn't, at that time, we didn't know anything about Iran-Contra. We didn't know what was going on with that, you know. Uh, we figured it out quick, you know, once we were there for a little while, because we're like, hey, we're supposed to be heading back to Devons. And then next thing you know, our orders got extended. So they ended up putting us into a joint task force. We were joint task force Bravo. And there, next thing you know, there's 307th jumping in. You got C5s landing. You got the special forces groups coming in and they're going out and we got rules of engagement, you know, with we got live rounds, but we, we leave the. We leave the point of uh, uh, our line of departure. You know, you had to have tape across your weapon, tape across your am ammunition and all that stuff. And when you got back, they always did the did the round counts to make sure nobody popped off around. But it was it was uh, it was serious business. What, what kind of unit were you in? That was heavy, heavy engineer. Bravo 39th. And there hadn't been an deployment since what the early mid 70s to vietnam up yeah until the time frame you're talking about yeah yeah and we get down there and uh you know that was so hush hush because of cia operations and um oliver north you know the whole nine yards mm -hmm. that whole thing uh, it was pretty much spinning out of control but uh we knew what our mission was we we built their first potable water tank constructed it. It was actually from Cameron Bay, Vietnam. The markings were on the package and it was a 126,000 gallon water tank. Wow. 
I never built a water tank in my life. You know, we were wearing out equipment and as we would wear out sanders and grinders, you know, trying to get this thing to where it would hold water and put the blivet and stuff inside it. As quick as we would wear stuff out, torque wrenches, all this, that we get brand new ones in the box. They just, here, don't even worry about servicing it. Just put it over here. Here's a new one. Mm. Cherry picker. We needed a cherry picker for, you know, to get up high enough because this thing was pretty big. And uh, we got a cherry picker. We didn't have one in our inventory and our bucket loader couldn't get us high enough. So uh, the 101st brings in a cherry picker for us. You ask and they'll get it to you. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. So y'all figured it out, but I imagine it it had to feel bizarre the first uh, few weeks. Well, the day we landed, um, we, we flew out of Dover in a blinding snowstorm in January. It was January 25th of 1986. Reason I under reason I remember that it, the same day uh, we basically flew over Florida, and then shortly after we flew over Florida is when the Challenger disaster occurred. Same day. Wow. I'm like, man. I told that story a bunch of times. That just was an eerie feeling because we couldn't understand when we got into country. Naturally, we were wore out. We've been up since pre-dawn, pre you know midnight the day the day before. And then getting shots and all that crap right before you get on the C5, get on the C5 with your butt hurting because you got the gamma globulin shot, shot, you know, shot in your butt. And you got to ride that knot for five hours. And then uh, we land and we get settled into our GP larges. And uh, they say, hey, there's a, a little bar down here called the recovery room. They're always looking for business, you know, and I'm like, a bar? What are you talking about? Well, there's, they had permanent party folks there and this retired sergeant major with a with a freaking green amazon on his shoulder was serving drinks and uh he had a had a tv with rabbit ears on it going in there and the generator running and uh it showed the space shuttle disaster i was like oh my god yeah that was crazy uh you you would not have experienced a lot of what we just talked about or any of what we just talked about uh if you had gone to virginia tech no Probably not. <laughs> uh, it so, would have been a little different. Yeah, a total different paradigm. Yeah. Besides Leonard Wood, Devins, and uh, Schofield, where else did, were you uh, stationed? Uh, that's basically my stations. And then I ended up naturally when I came, when I, when I PCS'd and then I ETS'd and came home. That's where I really started looking. I, I, I tried the civilian workforce for about a day and uh, I showed up super early to meet this surveying team. And, you know, they told me to meet them at seven. So I'm there at six thirty. by seven fifteen, I was, you know, screw this. And the guy yeah. called me a little bit later. The project manager called me and, hey, where are you? You know, and, well, I was there. Your team didn't show up. I don't have time for this. You know, I, I believe if you tell me to be somewhere, you know, if you're on time, you're late. That's, that's just the way it was, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, it was, uh, Bravo company 229th's commander was the, uh, this was his surveying company. His name is Scott Marsh. Yep. <laughs> Scott Marsh, secretary of the army's son. And, uh, yep. that's who I was meeting to go to work and they didn't show up. And I said, y'all pack sand. <laughs> Little did you know he was going to be in the uh, same national guard unit you joined. 
and him and I actually became we were we were pretty good uh, pretty good friends. It wasn't yeah. it, it, uh, no harm. He said, "Hey, I get it." You know, he he understood it. Well, so we were talking about uh, this, there's something about the power of water. Besides Leonard Wood, and actually, you weren't too far from Lake of the Ozarks. There, I mean, it's what an hour <laughs> and a half, two hour drive, maybe. Lake of the Ozarks recreational area. Know it well. Yes. Uh, so if you include Leonard Wood, <laughs> obviously Schofield Barracks and Devons were near water. You were near water, and even uh, Honduras. You weren't too far yeah. from water when you were down there. Yeah, we did. We did ops. We did ops out on the coast too, out on Black Sands and uh, close to Belize. While we were there, we built a a field landing strip and a, and a timber trestle bridge. You know to bring their road uh, road structure up to up to snuff and i mean we're down there there's water again this big river coming right through where we were at and we were putting this timber trestle across it and uh i turned around and here i was a team leader you know and i'm looking around and i'm like where the hell's my team well they're all up on the bank I'm like what are y'all doing get down here and get leeches all over us oh my oh. god you cutting oh. leeches off with freaking with your knife you know with your bayonet mm. And uh, they said, you need to get out too. And, they, and they're pointing, they're pointing down the river. And I turn around over my shoulder. I look and there's a freaking monster Bushmaster. Uh, what's said, a Bushmaster? A freaking nasty, venomous, if he bites you, just die. Oh, Horrible. And big. He's, he's parting the waters coming toward me. All these guys, they're already out sitting up on the bank, you know, can't even, I said, can you yell? Can you talk? Well, we're trying to. I'm down there steady pounding, you know, pounding stuff into an abutment. But uh, yeah, I came out of the water pretty quick. Yeah, that that I I imagine that got your attention. I can't stand snakes. I really can't stand big snakes. Yeah, and the poisonous and big. Whoo! Oh. Yeah, they named a freaking rifle after that bad boy. He he was a monster. Yeah, Bushmaster. <laughs> yeah. My gosh, I I've never encountered one obviously because I didn't, I I wasn't sure what what one was. Yeah. All right, Don. So you got out after four. Did you get out because you're like, hey, I committed to four. I've done my thing. I'm, I'm going to move on. Or uh, yeah, it was it was a collective decision. Uh, I think if I had been single, single, I would have stayed. Uh, I would have just stayed on active duty. Uh, I told my wife at the time. I said, you know, you know I know it, it's tough. It's tough. I had no idea I was going to deploy to Honduras, and uh, so she she ended up coming home before I did, before I even, uh, ETS, but she came back home and then, uh, we came back to Spotsylvania, made it our home. And I said, I got to start finding, I got to, I got to find something to get back into boots, you know, get back into the army. My first interview was with Virgil Gray and, uh, he was down at ITD as the, as a training captain, just got back from ranger school. So he was full of it. Um, <laughs> And, you know, first question they asked me is, okay, when can you go to da-da-da-da-da-da? Because I showed up in dress bees with, you know, all my adornments. And they're like, what uniform, what what army did you come from? I said, this was an authorized uniform overseas. And I said, uh, I've got my greens jacket in there if you'd rather me put that on. Well, yeah, we don't wear, okay, cool. So I get back in there and I got these monsters like Top Nelson, you know, these mercenaries sitting around me talking about, you know, when can you go to all these special schools? And all that? I go tomorrow, man, I'm hungry. You know, I don't, I don't care what you put, where I get a, a job, I'm ready to go. So uh, ended up getting orders for 3rd Battalion, 116th 
as their chemical NCO of all mm. things. They had a vacancy for an AGR chem guy. Never stepped foot in a third and a one sixteenth. Ended up a special assignment in Dove Street working for the troop command under under Major Childers. <laughs> Major Childers, who was getting ready to make light colonel. And uh, he was troop command commander. And uh, we had all the we had all the units under us on troop command that nobody knew what to do with under light infantry and Stark and all this other stuff. So they put them all under the umbrella of troop command to get them trained. And, you know, the 29th band is naturally going to have to they're going to have to support the 29th division. So they're going to have to have light training and learn how to fight his infantry and having Childers there with his battle book, you know, you pretty much, you pretty much knew that the, you were going to be in the field with them too. So, and I spent, uh, got trained, got MOS qualified as a 50. That's where I got my 54 training echo and Charlie and then transitioned to Bravo. Um, and then, uh, Bravo company comes open in, uh, Fredericksburg and I jumped on it and I said, that's, that's where I want to be. And the first person I met when I came back up there, had met him during, you know, my previous M-Day stint and my AT with Charlie Company. But it was Winston Ward. He was the first sergeant and uh, came in there and said, well, when you go to Sapper School? I said, I'll, I'll go to Sapper School as soon as I can get a quota, you know. And, man, those guys, Heron and Smith and the guys that had already been Greer, you know, who had already been through it. So like, oh man, oh my God, you know what the washout rate of that school is? You're going to go out there and they're going to kick your ass. You know, I'm throwing up, you know, before I get on the freaking plane. Um, just knowing that I'll get out there, I can't, I can't not make it first time through cyber school. You know, I had to make it. And uh, I tell people to this day, I'm still on the alumni with my sapper buddies. And I tell them to this day, uh, you know, they say, young folks are like, Hey, staff sergeants, C fives, corporals. They're like, what, what, what was the training regimen? What do you do? And I said, you put your ruck on and you get to the point where you forget you got it on your back and you, people are going to think you're crazy, but everywhere you go, I don't care where you go, you're wearing your rucksack to the point to where you forget you have it on your back. And I said, and your, and your feet, you got to take care of your feet. And I said, you, you do those things right there. And I said, you're still going to get injured. And I'm not telling you nothing. I mean, you've been, you made it through SFAS. Um, it, it's just today do 110%, tomorrow do 110%. And I was lucky. I went through a course with 36 folks. Most of them were fifth engineers out of, out of, out of uh, Leonardwood. So they're, most of us, most of them were fifth engineers, and we had five of us from the 229th mm -hmm. that were, were there to go through with the fifth engineers. And uh, we sent back, three of us graduated. So it was me and Levinson and uh, a guy out of Alpha Company at uh, Carver. Carver out of Alpha, Alpha Company. I couldn't stand that sucker. Um, <laughs> Hopefully he won't listen to this, Doc. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean, know. I, I think I told him I can't stand you because he yeah, stole so, the chicken. So he already knows. He stole one of our chickens. Well, that that's not right. No, at all. Especially after you had me. Remember that story we had about a hum being hungry. Oh, uh -huh. <laughs> we were hungry. <laughs> so, uh, what year was it that you came to Bravo? Eighty-seven. Eighty-seven, and then 
before 91, you ended up being an HHC? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's when we met in 91 at HHC. Yes, indeed. And, and Don, I don't I, – I can't tell you how much I love the assault – did we call them A&O back then? A&O. Yeah. Assault Moscow Platoon, yep. Yeah, I – I love those guys. Yeah. I loved yeah. them. And most junior officers couldn't stand them. I know. And that's one reason I that's one reason I volunteered to be the PSG at you know at a point. I said, I'm not, I'm not a what was it, a 62 November? Yep. Or 62. I wasn't a 62 November. I said, but I can learn, I can I can be a platoon sergeant in any freaking platoon, you know, because I'm not doing the work. I'm I'm leading it, you know. Um, I'm looking at, you know, the guys like Atkins and Wheeler and, you know, those subject matter experts that know what they're doing. Um, and I had fun with them. I, I had a lot of fun. But that was that was kind of because at first they were like, no, nah, you're headquarters platoon star. And I said, headquarters platoon star. And that's not even a thing. Yeah, that's you not know, a thing. Give me a give me a platoon. I said, at least I can go to the field with them, you know, during AT and we can do good projects and stuff. And we did some crazy stuff. You know, getting them guys out on the demo range to actually see, you know, and go through it and working with the SEALs down there. Oh, my God. And then the handoff. Oh, my God. I'll never forget when I we did that project for him. And Chief Wagner, never forget that guy, brought us into the SEAL camp and gives me that crate, cosmoline smelling. I'm like, what in the world is it? He said, well, you guys built us a freaking bunker and parked a D7G on it. And we can we can watch our shots now. So this is the least we can do. And he hands me this freaking case of uh, black M9 bayonets. Mm. And he said, you won't see these anymore. These are black. You guys got green ones. These are black in a scabbard. And I said, oh, my God. You talking about a morale booster. Yeah. I go, oh, yeah. I go back with them monsters. Yeah, I, I still had one. And I presented it to a friend of mine. Uh, at his retirement from Fairfax County, because he's a military, he's a reenactor. And uh, I mean, really into it. And uh, he meant a lot to me. And I said, this really meant a lot to me when I got it. So I hope it means as much to you. And I, I gave that bayonet to him. But yeah, uh, yeah just uh, salt and obstacle platoon. Yeah, the HHC, I learned, I learned a whole heck of a lot. Um, just by mere all the MOSs, good God, that was 144 folks versus 63 in a line company. Good God. Yeah. Uh, the, I know you remember what I'm about to talk about, but it, it's um, – I'd love to get your perspective on this. I'm sure I asked you at the time. Well, I probably didn't because it, it was literally my first drill. It's been long enough. I mean, it's been, hell, 30-plus years. My first drill, Lieutenant – I'll just call him Lieutenant F – was uh was showing me around introduced me to some folks and then we get uh to sunday afternoon it's final it might have been the final formation for it had to be for sunday yeah and you remember what i'm gonna say yeah i i thought i i was in like a, a bad movie mm-hmm. it, he was brought to the front of the formation in theory to receive uh a gift much like you yeah. just described, uh, where that platoon showed their appreciation and it, it was not handed to the lieutenant. Right. And that corporal who had been busted, I think, a total of four times in five yep. years, 
who, who by the way, I would go anywhere with that guy. He was right. awesome at his job. Yeah. Uh, you, you just had to, you, you just had to meet meet him halfway, meet him where he needed yeah. to be that and he was fine. Yeah, that was a horrible time, yeah. But that I and that was in front of the, the battalion commander, the the XO was there. I'm like, "Oh my god. What is happening?" Yeah. <laughs> what You've never seen anything like that, right? Exactly. Oh my gosh. Mm -mm. I'm like, what have I got myself into? This really? is this is my first assignment, really? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Don, um, a couple more things before we close out. One is okay. I, I ask a, a question that's meant to be uh, a little more revealing about who you are as a person beyond what we've already talked about. Um, but it's 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 a safe, it's kind of a softball question. Imagine you have your own talk show, but you only are going to do it one time. You get to invite your own guest, um, one male guest, a female guest, uh, a musical act. And if you're into comedy, uh, a comedian, uh, it, the show can be thought provoking. It can be educational. It can be pure fun. It can be a mix of, of whatever makes you happy. Your guest can be alive or dead. Um, they they can be famous, uh, close family member, whatever you want it to be. Who are your three or four guests? Oh wow, that's interesting. Well, now definitely, uh, I bring uh, I bring some folks back in. My dad definitely. Um, he was he was kind of he kind of fit most of those bills. Funny, stern. Uh, but again, I, I lost him, and uh, I'm looking at the folks. I'm looking at the folks that I've lost, and my daughter, uh, at the young age of 25, because um, she had a lot of she had a lot of insight. She had a lot of uh, a lot of things she wanted to do, um, and then uh, a few others, military wise. Uh, you know, just like I spent time out the other day with with Roger, Roger, and a couple of those folks, and that he's a guy that's always uh, thick and thin, man. He he went to bat for me more times than I actually realized because uh, I believed in him and uh, got him through one of the hardest courses in his life, and uh, it was a it was a career changing course for him, his his advanced course. And I can actually say uh, the time I spent with, I can name them, you know, my dad always told me, you name your, your, your close ones on five fingers, you know, your close friends, you got five. Uh, you're definitely, you're definitely in that mix um, because it's always been, you were 110%, you know, straight up, you know, this is what you get. This is face value. And I, and I appreciate that out of people. Here's, I'm not putting on a show for anybody. Yeah. You know, this is the folks I want, you know, to my right and my left. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it'd be a, it, if you're writing a book or doing a movie, it would be a bestseller. Because right. I think I, I think I, I've always said this, if I ever do write a book, it's just going to be called life. Um, you know, doing life and just start from, you know, something similar like we're talking about, you know, you were born here all the way up through and those trials and tribulations and what those people, those special people really do mean to you and, and how they change you. I'll never forget when you came back from uh, uh, SFAS, you know, and you told me your story and I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, what the hell are you talking about? 
and that they could actually do what they do. And, they, and to this day, they still do it. You know, yeah. I think Dan, I think Dan Neffendorf recently, I think his son, uh, his older son made it through, yeah. uh, made, made it through Q course, um, which is awesome. But, it, but again, it's, you know, what a percentage they get to do that, you know, and having, having those close folks, uh, because there's a trust, there's a trust thing there too. There's, there's, there's a trust thing. You got to really, uh, if you breach somebody's trust, that's hard to, you can forgive, but you never forget it. And I just think those, those folks that were honest and all, you know, uh, I'll never, I'll never forget asking you a question one time about your dad. And, uh, you didn't like to talk a lot about your dad, but you know, you, we, we knew he was a, a very, uh, uh, a very well-liked, very well-respected general officer. And, uh, cause I had, I had that time where he had to come up and ask us some hard questions and, uh, we got through that, but you know, I'm like, you know, what do you, what do you say? You know, you know, the only thing you can say, tell the truth, you know, yep. tell the truth. When, when somebody asks you a question, tell them the truth. And, uh, you know, I, I tell my kids and my grandkids now, if you get to that, you get to that crossroads, you know, either right or left, you know, just do right, do the right thing. And, uh, I think we did that. I think, I think, uh, we, we had some pretty good teams, pretty good times. Worked hard, trained hard, but yeah, having having those folks around me, lost my mom too. Uh, lost my mom a couple week, couple years ago. COVID, COVID mm-hmm. guy. That was a rough time for me. Um, but I, I definitely like to have our, our folks back that have went on uh, went on before us. No, that's. Uh, uh, I I wish I could uh, grant you uh, a show like that and and get you to see your parents and your daughter again. Yes, indeed. Um, we, Don, we were talking before we started recording. Um, I asked you if anything was off limits and I kind of had a, a very loose understanding of, of what had happened with your, your daughter. Uh, do you mind uh, telling, telling us again? Uh, yeah. It, what happened? She struggled for years with uh, chronic pain that, uh, we kind of put off that, you know, you're, you're just growing up, you're just going through, you know, your physiological changes in your body and you're an athlete, you're going to hurt, you know, you're a gymnast, you're going to hurt, you're a cheerleader, competitive cheer, uh, straight A's, B's, and then 14 years old, you know, adolescence and her life starts to change. Uh, she starts to lose, uh, lose friends. One year she lost a bunch of friends before her freshman year. And, uh, just a tremendous tragedy for a kid to go through. And we were trying to get our church to assist with uh, counseling and things like that. But it just, you know, what are you going to say? What are you going to say to kids that are hanging themselves and kids that are, uh, you know, car accidents that just don't take one, they take five, you know, just best friends. And then her decision to not go with that group, her best friend that night, and then her best friend ended up getting killed. So this pain, you know, over the years and not only uh, mental anguish and things like that, uh, and then the physical pain, physical pain, she just never could understand car wreck. Uh, she gets treated, then finds out, you know, they put her on opioids and then they find out that she's got a gallbladder issue. I got to take gallbladder out, put them on opioids, put me on opioids. Um, so to the point to where, you know, she starts weaning off of, of the opioids and then, uh, 
finds out she has a malformation, Chiari malformation of the brain at a between a one and a two level. There's four levels of it um, to a point where it can be fatal. Um, but it's a it's a pretty serious, serious thing that can be surgically repaired. But even with surgery, it's only a 50 50 chance that uh, most folks make it through it and make a completely normal, normal life. But the pain from that uh, particular malformation, Chiari malformation, C-H-I-A-R-I, -I, named after a doctor, Arnold Chiari, who, who found out about it, your uh, cerebral tonsil swells to a point to where your, your, your brain is trying to come out of its skull. And mm. uh, I can only imagine the cerebral fluid trying to pass through those, you know, channels in your spine and your brain and your neck, and then uh, the pain associated with that. So opioids. Um, so she gets to the point where, okay, the doctors are like, well, we got to stop the opioids because that's causing a problem. And uh, she had um, experienced drug use uh, when she couldn't get the opioids. Naturally, you got to find something, something to kill the pain. And unbeknownst to us, I mean, that we didn't we didn't realize how bad it was until uh, she was trying to come home to kids. And it's uh, Veterans Day, 11-11-13. And I talked to her via text for the last time, and she'd been incarcerated for a while. And I talked to her, and she said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, happy Veterans Day, and hope to see you guys soon. And I said, oh, my God, you know, we love you. We're here having dinner. For Veterans Day with with your boys, and uh, we hope to see you too. We love you. And uh, the next twelve hours, we can't account for. She got picked up by friends uh, once she got out of incarceration, and they decide to give her a uh, injection. She said they gave her a hot shot, and uh, we know they gave it to her because uh, it was given to her in her arm. She was bruised. It was, it was her opposite arm uh, where she had problems before. She was held down and basically given a hot shot. And uh, because she'd been clean and had, had rehabbed while she was uh, incarcerated, her doctor had even given her a clean bill of health that, that day uh, that she got out. And uh, that evening is when, uh, when it all happened, some wee hours of the morning. And uh, she had a large, uh, large quantities of opioid and uh, heroin in her system when they finished the autopsy. And that's ultimately what she died from. But we tried, we tried to push Orange County to keep an investigation open. And, you know, there naturally there's a big investigation about bigger fish and this, that, and the other. I said, well, I'll tell you right now, you better find them. Uh, Cause I'm going to bring it. I'm going to bring the wrath. It, it was really hard for us. I mean, my wife and I, at the time we were trying to quit smoking. Uh, we ultimately did after years and years, but, um, I haven't had a drink in 18 years. Um, wow. I stopped drinking when my grandson was born and um, made a commitment there that it's time to it's time to stop. Uh, there's there's more to more to life than than that lifestyle. But uh, that day, 11, 12, 13, when I got the phone call at five in the morning from a brother in law um, said, hey, you got to get down to Lake of the Woods. Uh, it's about your daughter. And uh, we think we think she's passed. And I'm like, oh, my God. So here I have to wake the family up and we got to keep the normalcy for the boys. And we sent them to school. Heck, 
you know, we will tell them later, we got to figure this out ourselves before they, we, you know, get the kids involved. And they went to school normal day. And when they got off the bus, you know, they get off the bus and here's the house has got hundreds of people here, you know, and it's just a long day to have to have to endure, um, you know, the questions. And we just didn't know the answers. Uh, medical examiners, you know, they wanted to take her body to science. And, you know, these questions on the same day that your, your daughter's passed. And, uh, you know, you just, it's just hard to answer those questions. Luckily, uh, medical examiner in uh, Manassas, friend of mine, uh, I just out of the blue opened my phone up and called her. I said, hey, my daughter's coming to you. Please take care of her. And she 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 gave me more faith uh, at that point. And we had a lot of faith. We had, Faith really got us through a lot. Uh, we, we really laid on it heavy. But uh, Nancy Bull, Ph.D., uh, Office of... Uh, um, yeah, Office of Chief Medical Examiner in, in Manassas there, she assured me that uh, she would be taken care of with kick gloves and that she was, you know, very sorry for the loss. But uh, over the course of the next bunch of years, uh, a lot of people in that same group have, you know, we couldn't do anything legally. Uh, there was just always an open investigation. Uh, they just wanted to come back and say it was this, it was an overdose. Well, there's always more, you know, more sides to the story. But again, going through redactions and trying to get, uh, you know, copies of transcripts through the county attorney and all. Uh, it was just it's just one one uh, roadblock after the next. And then we, uh, we you know, we talked to the boys about it a lot. Um, we were very open with them and we have always been transparent. And we told them, you know, growing up that we will never lie to you. We will always tell you the straight facts and you learn and become good citizens by knowing that, uh, you know, if you make good decisions, you, you make, uh, and, and I mean, we're, we're struggling through it now. My oldest grandson's having a rough time, but uh, he's making it. He, it's just, uh, he learned a lot from that, but he's got a, he, he asked about his mom uh, the other, the other night and, you know, very tearfully and he, he hasn't broken down like that in, in years so thank god we had the boys in counseling early early on and counseling up through the years but we wanted to continue that and now they're getting ready to age out of you know adolescence and, and become adults i mean once they're 18 you know shoot we ain't got no say so over their medical you know stuff when, when they're what 15 14 15 much less uh, when they're 18 you know uh everything changes so but do the best you can do. I mean, if there's any advice I can give to anybody, you you do 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 what you can do every day and do it to your best ability. And you know, uh, you can't beat yourself up. That's where a lot of marriages end with with death. Is you know the what ifs. It, the what ifs will drive you out of your mind. You know, what if I could have done this? What if I could have done this? You get you've got to stop. You know, yeah. we're all. <laughs> In one shape or the other, one shape, way, shape, or form, we're all either one of two things, and that's we're in denial or we're in recovery from something. And uh, I've come to that realization over the years that you just got to deal with it, you know, and a uh, whole other chapter, but I'll do another podcast with you when it comes down to uh, talking about health and things like that, you know, post, post-military, because I've, I've got another book on that one, too. Um, i got a lot of titanium in my body. <laughs> <laughs> and probably going to have a lot more, but, uh, 
Yeah, this well, has been good. Well, Don, uh, your daughter had two sons yep. when she passed. Yep. Um, and they they were elementary school age. If I'm doing the math, four and five. Uh, not, yeah, pre pre elementary for yeah one. four. Uh, I think Chunk was getting ready to go into preschool. They're they're 22 months apart. Um. Yeah, 22 months apart. I think Chunk must have been, yeah, Chunk was probably five. Dominic was getting ready to turn seven, yeah, at the time. Yeah, but they yeah. went to school, and that night they came home. We talked to them and told them what happened, and they said, well, we we thought there was a party. You know, naturally, you got all these cars in the driveway, food everywhere, people right. sitting around. And I said, well, it's not a party, and we told them, your, your mommy died this morning. She passed away unexpectedly. And then, you know, out of these little ones, they look at you and they're like, you got a little tear here and there and they're, they're very upset. And then, well, what are we going to do now? You know, and I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Well, we've got wrestling practice. You know, four, four and five, almost six year old, you know, they're like, you want to go to wrestling practice? I'll never forget it. Virgil and Becky had pulled in out front and uh, they were coming in the door. And I said, hey, I have to talk to you guys later. Lisa's in the house. Uh, thank you for coming. But I got to get these boys a wrestling practice. They were in a private wrestling club. club. Taking a wrestling practice. And I sat there the whole time of wrestling practice, just bawling, you know, sitting out in the in the hallway of the school that they go to high school at now. And uh, sat, sat out there just trying to, what in the world is going on? You know, next few days were, were kind of tough. Yeah, I imagine you don't remember some of that just because. It was the business piece of it. Oh, my God. That's the part I had to deal with to keep, I had to let Lisa grieve. You know, she had to grieve. I I'm, I said, I'll be able to, to do that part too, but I'm not, the business side of death, oh my gosh. Man, I mean, it, it's just, it is unbelievable the things that were thrown up. I mean, and we planned. I mean, we had, we had uh, plots and we had life insurance and we had everything, you know, but you get somebody that's there's an investigation going on and guess what? They're not going to, they're not going to let up off the the funds of your life insurance until, you know, the investigation's complete until there's a death certificate. Seven months. We waited wow. for a death certificate. That was excruciating. Oh, I bet. You know? Mm. Well, uh, tell me about the grandsons these days and uh, tell me about, uh, your wife and that, and we'll close out with that. Okay. Wife, uh, she's, she's a hero. She's a superhero. She, she keeps these boys and it is, it's a full-time job. Uh, since I've been in emergency management, she stepped down from, uh, from her career. Um, but she's worked all of her, all of her adult life, but, uh, she stay at home and keeps the fire burning, allows me to, to do my career stuff and like going in my third career now. But, uh, yeah, she's a saint. Um, I, uh, I couldn't, no way I could do, you know, endure what I've endured without uh, the love and the, the faith we have together. We've, we've had a strong bond. Um, but she gets it. I mean, she's, she's experienced tremendous loss naturally with, with our daughter, but also with brothers and, uh, nieces and, oh, uh, you just name it. It's a uh, tremendous loss. Loss of her dad was really tough on her. Um, up on my son um but yeah now here it's son's doing doing uh well as he can he's uh 
he's 38 and uh, he works for an electrician or a plumber full-time, David Light uh, Plumbing. And may, he's making his way and he's got a, a young young son, five years old, and also a, another son that's uh, 16 and they're kind of, uh, they, don't, they don't see each other because of previous relationships and that's hard on him. But uh, this little Asher, he's five years old. He comes out here and he stays sometimes weeks with us and... <laughs> It, uh, it it gives us back that perspective about what it, what it's all about, you know. But uh, yeah, watching the other boys, uh, Dominic and Christopher, grow up and find their way. Uh, and again, like we said, I, whatever it is that you choose, we will support you. We will support you, and we will give you 110 uh, percent because they they deserve that shot. They deserve that shot at life. No mom, no dads. You know, it's 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 been been tough. And then when they father figure does come back in the picture it's normally very very uh close time you know close time frame because they're going to reoffend. you know recidivism for jail and you know he's a career freaking uh crook recidivism you know i explained to the boys you know it's a 77.9 percent recidivism rate for first-time offenders they're going to go back to jail over whatever because they just can't steer right um, and then that messes up his mind, my grandson's mind for another six months. And we try to get him out of that, but now he's becoming a man, you know, he's got a girlfriend and he, uh, he, he, he takes care of his, his girlfriend. And he's now, we're actually a little closer now because we got a little bit of space, but, uh, he's going to make it. He's going to be okay. And Chunk's definitely going to be okay. I think he's going to end up and he, uh, Wanted to be an Oregon Duck originally, um, <laughs> and then now I think he's got his uh, his head set on uh, hopefully a college with uh, either lacrosse or or football. But uh, again, that's 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 tough getting in. He's a tough kid. I mean, he doesn't uh, his work ethic is uh, phenomenal. Tough. Well, well, Don, uh, I, I pre probably have never told you this. I. Truly appreciate your service to our country. Uh, I, I know the good citizens that you've served in emergency, emergency management appreciate uh, what you've done for them. Um, and I, God is not going to put on your shoulders shit you can't handle. That's right. Uh, and uh, you, you've been through a really, really set of rough patches, but uh, I, I, I think you're on the on a good uh, in a good place now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, and uh, thank you. Thank you, too. I know you you served, served a long time, served hard. Um, a lot of hard, uh, hard tours. But uh, yeah, my hat's off to you. Uh, and again, I mean, you're one of those five, man. <laughs> when you uh, reached out to me about this, I said, that's why I say, you know, whatever it takes. <laughs> there's there's a slogan. <laughs> um, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I keep seeing Tim White. I, I still see him in pictures down at Fort Pickett. Good Lord. Yeah. He's down there as a civilian, I think. But uh, no, uh, selfless selfless service. I mean, service to your country and, you know, truly uh, truly serving your neighbor, serving your fellow man. It's uh, it's a huge uh, huge responsibility, but uh, it's it's worth every minute of it. I, I know your grandsons wish their mom was still around. I, I'm sure they wish that their father was still around. Um, yeah. But they 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 won the grandpa lottery, and you're effectively dad. 
Uh, yeah, won, yeah. We won the dad lottery is as odd as that may sound. That's exactly right. And and, and I don't know. I haven't seen Lisa. I haven't seen your wife since '02, probably. But yeah, uh, yeah. I think they won the lottery on that that front too. Yes, indeed. Cool, man. Well, yeah. Uh, we need to connect after this, so you can yeah, tell me about titanium in your body. I, I know you've had a couple of uh, you have two titanium two hits. hits. Yeah, and now I'm I, going through some stuff with my knee. I've had uh, two cancer surgeries, um, one on my back, one on my nose. They had to reconstruct some stuff up there. I had all kinds of crap going on with my nose, mm. but uh, yeah, my hips and uh, oh my lord, I fought the fight there. I had no idea that's what it was. Virgil looked at me one day. He said, Don, he says, I'm 70% disabled, and I go to the gym five days a week. You're 10% off of active duty, and you can't even get in my truck. Mm. He said, something's wrong with that. And now he's advocating. I mean, he's he's working for a veteran service organization. His uh, I think it's his brother-in-law out in Oklahoma. Yeah. Huge. Uh, veteran service organization, nonprofit, and helping people. You know, he told me the other day, uh, last time I talked to him, wasn't the other day, it was a couple, about probably two months ago. He's been traveling since he retired, but he told me, he says, yeah, man, we go, we're going to continue to document and continue to get you into the system. And that's why I'm a firm believer in the VA. The VA saved my life. You won't hear that a lot, but uh, if it wasn't for closing that, closing that medical record uh, from the army, and then going to part two with the VA, it might take them a while, but they figure it out and you get the right people. You just got to know who to talk to. Like right now I have a Virginia rep, uh, Virginia, uh, veteran, disabled veterans, VD, VDFS or whatever it is. But, um, uh, you know, you get an appointment with them, you tell them what's going on and you got the documentation. Like right now, my knee is the next thing. Uh, I've had surgery on that at Sapper school. Uh, after I graduated and uh, they sent me home and follow up. But now they're looking back at my records and they're finding stuff from like 2003 that's documented. So it's just exacerbation from years and years of you know, pounding, but I'm just trying to walk and just stay walking the rest of my life. I was actually in a chair. I was, I was done. I was so bent over and my gait was so far off. I was a uh, full-time cane walker, uh, here at the house, I was in a hover round out doing chores out in the freaking yard. I just couldn't walk. Yeah. And then uh, when they told me one day down at the VA, this young doctor comes up and says, hey, when you're done with uh, that rehab medicine over there, why don't you come over to ortho and I'll fix you? I looked yeah. at this kid and I'm like, what are you, 12? You know, <laughs> like Doogie Hauser, you know, he says, now I'm the lead surgeon and I know what's wrong with you. He said, give me give me 20 minutes and do some films. I, went, I said, hey, man, I got my bag in the car. You fix me. I'm, I'm yours. I said, I'll go upstairs, do whatever you want. And went upstairs, did the x-rays, came back down. He flops him up on the thing. He says, you got the hips of a 70-year-old, dude, and mm. you're 46. Wow. 46. And he and they didn't want to do the surgery nasty because I wasn't 50. And I said, no, put zippers in, man. Let's, let's get this going. If they're that bad, I want them out of there. And then six months later, had my left one done. Six months after that's 2010, 2011, respectively. And uh, Easter of the following year, I had my second one done and I didn't even miss work. I mean, sh working from my laptop and my chair, my custom chair, sitting there like this, pounding it out, you know, Virgil being my boss, 
You know, your phone rings, answer it. You get an email, answer it. He said, recover. <laughs> so just uh, phenomenal. And you're, and you're physically able to walk yeah. as normally as you would expect, right? Yeah. Walking, walking good. Uh, I was trying to get into a really good walking regimen. Uh, you know, sit, well, I was up to about six, seven miles a week. And uh, then this damn knee starts by. I think my, I think my knee, it's more my feet than it is my knee because I'm experiencing different things in different shoes. But I start physical therapy for that on July 5th, and that's all, you know, veterans, veterans approved. So, yeah, yeah, it's been crazy. Well, Don, I, when, when I think about people that have to live in with chronic pain as they get older, I, I'm thinking of uh, athletes and soldiers. And the yeah. athletes got paid a bunch of money to make it to that high level uh, to play yeah, into right. their mid-30s. And Guys like you end up, uh, I mean, you, you served your country and I, and it's certainly an honorable path and I wish you, uh, no pain. Yes, but, sir. Same to you. Yeah. No, no pain in a way that, uh, it's a good, no pain. If you know what I mean. Absolutely. Cool. Don, uh, it was great catching up. I'm going to, Oh my God. Yeah. This has been great. I'm going to stop recording, but hang on for a second. Okay. Th thank you very much for doing this. Thank you. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.